Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. Soybean yields are coming in, and several times a week I get a call or a text message about how high soybean yields are this fall. It's hard to imagine that just three months ago we were in kickoff meetings dominated by discussions about how bad the soybeans look across the countryside from dicamba damage. Today, to talk to us about a little bit about that, we have regional sales manager Kip Rowe. Welcome back, Kip. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Glad to be on. So, Kip, what are you hearing and seeing about soybean yields this fall? Well, soybean harvest is is progressing along pretty quickly, um, you know, with the weather we had there uh, through most of our footprint, uh, things dried down extremely quickly. A lot of areas haven't had a frost yet to, to help, so a few green stems out there. But I think statistically, nationally, we're sitting at about 50% uh, harvested across, and with some areas being ahead and some being behind. But overall, progress is progressing quite nicely. Yeah. So what, what are the yield trends, you know, overall? We're, we're hearing a lot of above normal, but this year is probably different than most others with, um, you know, some areas receiving a fair amount of drought throughout the year, although we did get rains in August. Uh, what are the overall yields coming in that you're seeing? If I was to surmise soybean yields this year, I would say surprising. Um, you know, with as dry as it was through the summer and in many parts of our area, we just felt uh, we were going to be looking for an average to below average crop. And as we got out there and harvested, there are certainly some areas that were affected all throughout and, and don't have as, as good as soybeans. But overall, I would say the, the soybean yields are very impressive. Absolutely. Many, many fields in the 60s, 70s, uh, whole farm averages in the 80s, even in in parts of uh, Iowa and Minnesota that we've seen. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really excited calls from some customers who have been seeing some really big numbers on their yield monitors and what they're actually delivering to the elevators. I mean, overall, we're, we're hearing that soybean yields are actually beating estimates and nationally corn yields uh, are, are coming in comparably, but soybeans are much better than what they're expected to be overall this year. So Kip, back in late, June and all of July, we literally fielded hundreds of questions and concerns about dicamba damage in soybeans across the countryside. What had so many of these growers concerned? Well, I think it, you know, with the dicamba applications we had, we had a ruling from EPA that uh, opened things up a little bit on application and windows and, and when they can spray. Now, there was supposed to be a little bit more record keeping, uh, but other than that, uh, the label had kind of been broadened. When we were seeing these drought conditions as, as guys were spraying dicamba and there was a lot of volatility taking place, thumb drifting taking place with soybeans, non, uh, non-dicamba tolerant soybeans being so sensitive uh, to dicamba mixed with uh, heat and, and drought. We saw a lot of cupping and, and a lot of visual symptoms from dicamba moving around in the air. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that dicamba moving around in the air it really doesn't take much to actually get visual symptoms in soybeans. I mean, a direct application of dicamba of less than 5% of the labeled rates can devastate yield in, in soybeans. But actually, even one 1,024th dilution of the labeled rate of dicamba can cause identifiable symptoms such as cupping, as you mentioned. And so, 
between volatility and tank contamination, there were a lot of cup soybeans out this year. There were, and you know, we were already heading into to what looked like drier than than normal, and there was some uncertainty. You mix in some dicamba injury, and it led to a lot of fear, a lot of fear of yield loss. You know, we weren't shading the row as well. Um, it looked like uh, plants were were maybe dying a little bit earlier uh, than normal, and so. I think it, you know, it led to a lot of uncertainty and um, guys questioning maybe where they're going to go in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a constant reminder when you drive by your field day in and day out and you see the, the cut beans that are stunted and you know, may, may or may not recover based on what they knew at the time. And so, you know, it, it is a really emotional, frustrating thing. But Kip, what are we seeing on yields of these fields that, that have been impacted by Zacamba? Well, Jim, it looks like the dicamba didn't affect anything as far as yield goes. Um, it's been much better than we predicted. In many cases, uh, these fields are, are reaching, you know, historic averages that the, they haven't reached before. Uh, we've got, we've done a lot of uh, data on, you know, our own trials, uh, our own plots, and even third-party plots where, you know, right now we're showing almost a bushel advantage. Uh, overextend flax or dicamba tolerant beans with the enlist beans that that were cupped or injured. So, you know, if it if it did do any damage other than visual, um, it certainly doesn't appear to be showing it. Uh, the enlist uh, platform is performing marvelously. In fact, Jim, if you were to go to look at third-party independent data uh, using the first trials, for example. Um, and look at the platform comparisons. Take take a look, uh, pull them up. Look at Enlist E3 beans versus ExtendFlex. Um, you can the farmer, or the customer, or, or the dealer, or even us can see for ourselves that you know the Enlist are performing extremely well, and they have about a bushel advantage when we run all the data across uh, the points. So, I mean, the data is out there for people to look at. Enlist are performing really, really well. Uh, even in spite of some dicamba damage. Absolutely. That's been really exciting to see, and it's caused a lot of relief among these customers. Would you say that these results are surprising? You know, based on the initial reaction, the visual nature, I would say, yes, it, it's been a little bit surprising. Um, you know, even uh, as a trained agronomist myself, I, I had some trepidation when we're going through these dry there's the dry areas, you know, is, is it going to hurt? Is it not? So pleasant surprise. Um, you know, I've even uh, taken some pictures of some of these plants that are, you know, shorter from, from node to node and, you know, made a comment the other day, the IS 1761 E3s, uh, they look kind of like a, like a bunch of bananas hanging there. There's not, uh, the height is about half of what it should be. And it's just all pods. So mm -hmm. been, been very surprising and very fun to see too. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you, you really sit down to think about it and, and for these fields that were able to get some late moisture and, and uh, you know, maybe shade the row better than we thought they might have, you know, because beans will continue to grow and put out new trifoliates even after exposure, you know, they, they were able to, while having shorter internodes, uh, actually continue to put on the same number of pods that they would have otherwise, maybe even have reduced their uh, potential for getting white mold, which could help yield overall. And, you know, we did a fair amount or at least saw a fair amount of plant samples being you know, tested and going in. And many of them did come back at, at or below three parts per million. And we didn't really see any impacts on yield in those fields, but 
you know, in a, at least one field anecdotally where we measured six parts per million, there were some significant yield reductions, but that definitely does not seem to be the norm. No, and I would say that's more of a direct uh, drift out application than it is uh, volatilization when we get uh, levels of that nature. Oh, for sure. For sure. It, it's pretty tough to get six parts per million from an actual uh, volatility exposure. So, yeah. Kip, you know, taking all of this into account, you know, we, we've had, uh, you know, a lot of cup beans across the country side, but it doesn't appear to have impacted yields. It can be really frustrating when you drive by it every day. What recommendations do you have for farmers who are considering which platform or platforms to use in 2022? I think it really comes down to evaluating your agronomic needs first. Um, you know, do you have uh, IDC and we need to look at uh, what soybean, regardless of platform, is uh, going to fit your acre the best for IDC, sudden death, or even, uh, maybe it's a paking that you need uh, for assist resistance. So I would say first evaluate what your agronomic needs are on your farm and then evaluate which uh, varieties provide the best package overall. Um, when you're looking at, at putting things together, not just looking at one variety, but looking at the whole package. And what does the yield potential look like uh, you know, just on our work comparing uh, Enlist E3 platform versus ExtendFlex? The yield potential for Enlist, Enlist is higher across the platform than it is for ExtendFlex. So that should uh, lead into making a, a better decision there. And then finally, what does your weed control program look like for your farm? Um, are you, you want to use a strong pre with a great residual and then, you know, have the option for glyphosate, glufosinate or a much lower volatility product and enlist uh, choline uh, 24D. So kind of putting the whole package together, Jim, on, on what you what, when you evaluate the uh, platforms. Absolutely. So just because you saw a lot of cupping in your fields this year doesn't mean that that should be your primary driver for selecting a soybean variety or a platform for 2022. Absolutely not. Uh, think about what's best for your farm from an agronomic standpoint and, and what uh, brings you the best return on investment first. Perfect. So, Kip, just to kind of summarize everything we talked about, you know, we had hundreds, literally hundreds of, of concerns coming in in June, July, and even into August a little bit for dicamba damage in non-dicamba tolerant soybeans this year. But, you know, what we saw or what we are seeing is that um, the vast majority of these fields are actually out yielding historical yield trends for that same field and for those geographies, meaning that the dicamba damage didn't necessarily limit yields overall. I mean, it doesn't take much dicamba to, to cause cupping in soybeans, but it takes a bit more, especially direct application or direct drift to actually reduce yields. And so, you know, our anecdotal evidence is that anything under six parts per million appears to have no effect, whereas anything above resulting from that direct application is likely to have some issues. And so taking all that into account, make sure that as you're making decisions for 2022 and beyond, that you're not just looking at, you know, are the beans going to be ugly this year because they could be kept cupped from another year of high dicamba usage, but rather look at what your agronomic needs are, whether it's cyst resistance, sudden death syndrome, IDC, uh, what's that overall agronomic package look like? And then, you know, ultimately it's yield that gets you paid. And so, you know, look at yield and make sure you take into account what your herbicide program looks like. Anything you want to add to that? 
I guess the only thing I would add is don't let fear make your decision. That's a great addition. Well, thank you, Kip, so much for joining us today. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jim. As always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th for every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.